We're in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, and uh, by the beginning of the year, we're going to probably start 2 Corinthians, kind of work through there. I'm excited about that. I've been reading through it and studying some verses there and getting excited and pre- prepared and, and prepped up for it. And in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul is giving some final words to the church at, at Corinth, but he's also taking time, as we started last week, of acknowledging people that are very special to him. Now, he wasn't being showing favoritism or anything like that, but just acknowledging people that he was close to. These were co-laborers, workers with him in the ministry. And I just want to tell you this. I think the longer you, you serve the Lord and you're serving God with certain people, that you just kind of appreciate very much the, the, their stability, their faithfulness, their steadfastness, and all that they do there. And Paul was doing that in 1 Corinthians 16. He was acknowledging people that were very special to him. And he wanted us to know about it as he wrote that. And last week we studied the life of Timothy and what Timothy meant to him. And, of course, Timothy was very special to Paul. But in one verse here, he capsulizes for us a man that was very special to him. Perhaps in many ways a man that was probably one of the great preachers of the first century, if not the greatest preacher of the first century, next to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that man is, is this man by the name of Apollos. Now, Apollos, if you would, was one of three men that were kind of at the center of, uh, of if I could say this, there was strife in the church at Corinth. There was no strife between Paul and Apollos or Paul and Peter. But the church at Corinth, as we remember there, as we study in chapter 1 and chapter 3, uh, got to the place where they started, uh, they started having sexed and uh, factions and uh, people that are going following personalities. And, you know, it's always dangerous in a church when people start following personalities instead of following the Lord. And so that was happening in the church there. And Paul had to bring all that together and said, look, we're all co-laborers together in Jesus Christ. And he says, you know, uh, I may plant and Paulus may water, but he says, God, that gives the increase. And so he's trying to bring the people back full circle that they're just serving the Lord together. And as we read and study tonight from Acts chapter 18, I think one thing we're going to appreciate is that Paul did not have any jealousy in his heart towards Apollos, and Apollos had no jealousy in his heart towards Paul. Because quite honestly, we'll study Apollos tonight, Apollos was a very strong personality, he was a strong leader in his own might, he was a great preacher of the Word of God, the Bible describes him as being mighty in Scriptures, and yet at the same time, God blended these two strong personalities where there was compatibility, there was camaraderie, they had the ability of serving God together, and that's a wonderful thing. And you know, you know God is pleased when God can take a church like ours and he can blend all the personalities together and when we put down our, you know, we just put down our personalities and put down our egos and just decide tonight, as Paul said, that we're laborers together with God and we're here to serve one another and, and to complement one another and ministries should not be competing with one another and, 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 but instead ministries are complementing one another and serving the Lord and doing all that we can. I mean, that makes for a great church that God can bless and use and we're going to look at this man, Apollos, tonight and I pray that we're inspired by this man's life. I pray that we're inspired about our study of the Scripture, and I pray that tonight we're, we're inspired by how He inspired other people, and I pray that as we, some of us who have a teaching capacity, would be inspired to, to just really be like this man Apollos in that way, and, and uh, for some of us, perhaps, we're kind of lagging in our, in our enthusiasm that we would get rejuvenated tonight when we study about this man, where it talks about him being fervent in spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so tonight, we're going to study Paul's friend, Apollos. Notice, number one, if you'll go with me to Acts chapter 18, go there, please, because we're going to spend most of our time there. Number one, I want you to notice the tendencies of Apollos. We're going to see his, atten- his tendencies. Verses 24 to 28 of Acts 18 give us all the information God wants us to know about Apollos. Apollos is a Jew who has Grecian roots. Apollos, 
His very name was a very popular name among boys in that time. He was named after the Greek mythological god of medicine, Apollos. The name Apollos itself means a destroyer. But thankfully, Apollos was not his destroyer. Apollos was a builder. Amen. Thank God he was the opposite of what they named him. Because he was given a popular name, but he was the opposite of destruction. He was a man that was a builder. Now notice some things about this. Notice in verse 24, the Bible tells us about his birth and origin. It says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. Now the Alexandria here being mentioned is Alexandria, Egypt. You want to take some notes on this. Alexandria, Egypt was a hub of education and learning. In those days, it was considered the seat of learning. Alexandria, Egypt was the place where a lot of false teaching and corruption originated. Those of you who've studied or remember studying a little bit about the, about why we only use the King James Version Bible and how God gave us His Word through the Textus Receptus and the Masoretic Text, you might remember that a corrupt text came out of Alexandria. It's known as the Alexandrian Text. You study Alexandria, false teachers, false prophets came out of there, heretics came out of there, uh, Gnosticism found Alexandria as a hub for things, and it's natural because of the museums and the education and everything down there, it was just a hub for that. It's kind of like the city of Berkeley here in our local Bay Area. The city of Berkeley is a hub. There are a lot of weird things that go on there beyond just people's lifestyles. I mean, there's some weird spiritual things go on down in Berkeley there. In fact, so weird, there was a group, I don't even know if they're in existence now, there was a group that centered itself right there in Berkeley that studied all the cults that were originating just out of California there, if you can imagine that. And so, as we look at Alexandria, Egypt, it was a place where there was much uh, false belief system and teaching originated. I was asking Brother Justin yesterday about a little bit about a, a, a church, an early church father by the name of Oregon, O-R-I-G-E-N. And I didn't know too much about him, did a little bit of research about him, and asked Justin what he knew about him. And we both concluded, after uh, Brother Justin spent some time looking him up, that Oregon, we had his roots down in Alexandria. But if you study him very carefully, you understand that many, many uh, people afterwards, as they read his writings, uh, came to the conclusion that Oregon was a heretic. In fact, Oregon was the one who took the Word of God back in those early days of the first and second century. He took the Word of God, and he, and he, and he kind of divvied it up where some of it he considered as being literal, some of it he considered allegorical and things like that. And it may be even, my, my suspicion is that even Oregon may have been the starting point or the front runner of, of, the, of the corrupt translation of the Bible that came out of Alexandria. I can't prove it, but I think where he went with that probably would make sense for that. Now, when we consider that tonight, what, what does that have to do with Apollos? Well, I look at Apollos here in verse 24. It says that he was a Jew born in Alexandria. Now, we know that there were Jews, there's a synagogue of the Jews, because Acts chapter 6, verse 9 tells us that. There was a synagogue of the Jews down in Alexandria. Those Jews were, even though they were Jewish by background, in their approach to things, they were very philosophical and very argumentative, just as much as, as the people down in Alexandria, because those people were debaters. They were philosophical. They, they liked to argue with people there. And so it's kind of interesting. Here's this man... This man, uh, Apollos, born in Alexandria, and you would just think that because he lived in that city and he grew up in that city, that it probably wore onto him, and he probably inherited a lot of different things like that. But he wasn't like that, because the Bible tells us in verse 24 that the certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, and notice this, and mighty in the Scriptures. Now, I look at that tonight, and I think, praise God, that this man 
was down in that city and did not get corrupted by the false doctrine. He did not get corrupted by the false belief systems. He made it his choice that he was going to learn the word of God. And the Bible describes him as mighty scriptures, which I'll talk about in just a moment there. Now, I'm going to tell you, tell you a couple of things here. People become what they are based upon what they read and who they hang out with. You become what you are based upon what you read and hang out with. Now, let me, let me, give, you, let me give you a couple of things because I want to stop here for a moment. I want to talk about two extremes of men when we think about Apollos being down, at, down there at Alexandria. One extreme of men are those who graduate perhaps from a Bible college or so-called seminary, which if you want to get my opinion on that's another message on that, but from, who graduate from a Bible college. And they have very loyal roots to that institution. Even so loyal in their roots that if that institution should change its doctrine, change its direction, um, and change its, you know, its, its disciplines, things like that, they will stay loyal to that institution. There's another extreme where the second extreme are those who perhaps got disillusioned from their school or from whatever group they associated with. And so they're looking for a new school a new group, a new movement, or teachers that they can identify with because they can no longer identify with the past group, and so they want to latch on this new association because it fits their temperament. Now, both extremes, both extremes are out there. I've been around this thing. I, this past Friday, I celebrated um, 48 years. I've been, no, 49 years I've been saved now. I've seen a lot of extremes, but I've seen both these extremes. I've seen this extreme, and it basically leads to the following. When you take either extreme, it can lead to uh, cultism. It can lead to compromise. It can lead to doctrinal corruption. And I look at this man, Apollos, and what blesses my heart when I think about him being born down in Alexandria, even though he's from Alexandria, you could not say that he was like the typical teacher or philosopher or speaker that came out of Alexandria. He was a man minding the scriptures. Now that leads to something else. Notice that if you went going down to verse two, verse 25, verse 25 tells us about his baptism. As you're making way to verse 25, let me just say this. When we think about this man, Apollos, his loyalty was to the scriptures. And I want to say to you tonight that as you kind of make your journey in the Christian life, you make your way. I'll tell you my statement. From day one, since I got saved, my loyalty has been to the Lord Jesus Christ. My loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ. My loyalty is to his word. It's not to an institution. It's not to a group. I've seen people rise and fall. I've seen people leave. I've had, I've had, I've had more than my share of disappointments of people that I thought were doing good that have gone wrong. I've had, we've had a couple men that have preached in our pulpit in the past that were good men, good Bible expositors. You know, they got to reading different things and they started morphing into what they were reading. They started hanging with different kinds of people. They started listening to all the wrong garbage there. And so they just get caught up with the philosophy stuff. And I'll be real honest with you. It's very disillusioning and very disappointing that they go that way and they forgot the roots and bearings. And I'll tell you this tonight. They, they reject fundamentalism. They reject being an independent Baptist and so forth like that. And I'm going to tell you tonight, there's nothing wrong with being an independent Baptist. There's nothing wrong scripturally about being an independent Baptist or being a fundamentalist because being a fundamentalist and being an independent Baptist is being biblical. It's following what the Bible says doctrine there. But when you get disillusioned, typically you get disillusioned because of a personality. We have to be very careful that we're not following institutions. We're not following personalities. 
That's why I'm not a Southern Baptist. Amen. That's why I'm not a Southern Baptist. That's why we're not going to be a Southern Baptist, because I tell you what, if you follow the Southern Baptist, you're going to you're going to find out and be disillusioned. They've got seminaries and schools that are that do not believe that the Bible is the word of God. They do not hold to an inerrant, inerrant scripture. They don't hold to inspired scriptures. You've got professors in there that are Calvinists. You've got professors in there that have doctrine sound. You've got they've got women preachers there, which is unscriptural. I mean, everything about them is scriptural. And then you've got the president of the Southern Baptist Convention right now, who's just way out there in left field on a bunch of things. And he's got his sermons all over the place. And he's the he's the vanilla flavor of the day. There are people fine. I'm just telling you right now, I, my loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ. My loyalty is not to a denomination. We are not denominations. We are independent because I believe being independent is being Bible. Give me an amen. Somebody help me with that tonight. We just, you know, I, I believe being independent is biblical. I believe being away from denomination is, 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 is being biblical. I'm just saying tonight, when we look at those things, your loyalty must be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're going to be anything in life, as you make your way, I'm going to say this tonight, be scriptural. Number two, be separated. Number three, be sanctified. Number four, be so winning. Number five, be sensible. Amen. Now, I believe being separated. I believe in all that. But I know guys that are so separated, they're not just separated. They're isolated. They have no sense. And so they're completely isolated off from everybody else there. Now, notice this man, Apollos, as we get to verse 25. The Bible says, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Now, that's kind of, that's kind of mind-boggling there. I love that. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. But notice this, knowing only the what of who. Now, I'm going to go on the limb to tell you this tonight. If all he knew was the baptism of John, and I want you to think of it for just a minute. Paul got to the city of Corinth, and later on the city of Ephesus, between 52 53 A.D., John the Baptist appeared on the scene around 30 A.D. His ministry was short-lived, if you remember that. But John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness. He didn't have to go to the cities. They came to him. He preached one message, repentance. He baptized, a baptism of repentance. He, he, he knew what his calling was. The Bible says here, that Apollos, now this is 22 years later, Apollos came under the, came under the influence of John the Baptist. Now I'm going to go and let him tell you this. If he came under the baptism of John the Baptist, that makes him a Baptist. Amen. He was a Baptist. That's what he was, okay? And I believe he identified. Now, bear in mind, maybe because, because he came out of Alexandria and there are just all the weird things down there, maybe for whatever reason, he did not fully comprehend or know until he got there to Ephesus that the Lord Jesus Christ had come. Because remember, all he knew was the baptism of John, and so he came under the influence of John, or came under the influence of one of the disciples, and I promise you this, if all he knew was the baptism of John the Baptist, he was immersed in water, amen? He was immersed all the way in water. So he we know that, and we know that the doctrine he got was about the coming of the Lord, but he didn't, he didn't really fully comprehend that the Lord had come for whatever reason. Now, Apollos, the Bible says here, he followed in the tradition of John the Baptist. Now, I want to say this tonight. As I write, read and study about this man, I mean, just look at the first two verses, what it says. He was an eloquent man. I think he, I think he was eloquent because of his training there at Alexandria, but I think he heard about, the, about John the Baptist. If in those days they could have MP3s and they could have, they could have some means by which he could record the message. I think he would have been listening to the preaching of John the Baptist. I think I would have too, because I think John the Baptist probably would have captivated your attention. He was a thundering preacher. 
But the Bible says he was mighty in the scriptures and he came to Ephesus and he was instructing the way of the Lord and he was fervent in spirit and spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Now, I can't help but tell you this tonight. I think a lot of the influence came from John the Baptist and the disciples. I think a lot of the influence came from what he came out of. I want to tell you tonight, as a Baptist, he was unapologetic, knowing only the baptism of John. I mean, he wasn't ashamed to tell people, I identify with John's preaching. I identify with John's baptism. Hey, listen tonight, we need to stop being afraid of telling people we're born again. We need to stop telling people we're afraid. Stop being afraid of telling people we're born again. Stop being afraid of telling people we're Christian. Stop being afraid of telling people we go to Heritage Baptist Church. Stop being afraid of telling people that I'm an independent Baptist Christian. And we ought to just say unashamedly, I'm not apologizing for the fact that I realize that you've got community churches here and we're churches over here. But I'm not ashamed to tell you that I belong to a biblical church, a church that preaches the word of God there. It was uncompromising in the battle. Listen, John the Baptist set the trend for Baptists. He was uncompromised. He told Herod, listen, you are, you're living with your brother's wife. He lost his head for that. He was fervent as a Baptist. The Bible says he was fervent in the Lord. Listen, he didn't have bad days. You know why? He was fervent in God. You want to get away from having bad days? Be fervent in the Lord. I mean, he woke up every morning. He was on edge every morning. He woke up every morning. He was type A every day. I mean, this guy was on fire for the Lord. He thought about weeks ahead, what he's going to do for Jesus. Hey, you know why we get into these funks sometimes where we just kind of just, we don't know what we're going to do. We get kind of lethargic in that way because we lose our fervor after we've exerted ourselves. You need to be planning your day and planning your week and planning your year and planning your emphasis so you're always excited about what God can do through your life there. This man was instructing the way of the Lord. I don't know who his teachers were, but he learned the Bible, he meant. He knew only the Baptist and John. Baptist preachers produced Baptist preachers. Baptist churches reproduce Baptist churches. We're going to start a church somewhere. I'm not planning to reproduce a community church. Amen. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not planning to reproduce a charismatic church. I'm not, I'm not planning to reproduce a Calvinistic church. We're going to reproduce a Baptist church. Amen. I mean, you need to identify with the DNA of your church. I said this the other night. I said, listen, I'm not afraid to say this, but the culture of our church should be a sowing culture. The culture of our church should be fervent in spirit. The culture of our church should be a praying church. The culture of our church should be, we're going to reach our community for Jesus Christ. I mean, we ought to have a fire in our heart for God to do something great through this church. Baptist people should be 100% Baptist. If you're 90% Baptist, you're not Baptist. That's like a man telling his wife, I'm 90% faithful. Excuse me? You're not faithful. You ought to be familiar with our Baptist forefathers and current Baptist leaders. How they contended for the faith once lived. Hey, read about John Bunyan. Every young person should be reading Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan spent 10 years in prison. William Carey. William Carey did not start off as a Baptist. You ought to, you ought to look it up on the internet. I've got a copy of his message. He preached what he wrote out and preached one of the best messages ever preached on baptism by immersion. And he wrote it on a ship coming, going from England all the way over to India where he would minister for 10 years before he'd see his first convert. Adoniram Judson was a Baptist. They still, they, still have, they still have the fruit of Adoniram Judson's work down there in Burma, now Myanmar. Charles Spurgeon was a Baptist. Hey, one of my favorite authors I like to read, Alexander McLaren was a Baptist. 
Oswald Chambers, who's got some good things. I, I'm trying to get a, a collection of his old books, as many as I can, to give to our men. Oswald Chambers was a Baptist. Hey, look up Oliver B. Green. Oliver B. Green, many of you don't know his name, but there in the, in, in the, in the North Carolinas there. Listen, he was one of the great preachers of his generation. You ought to look up some of his messages. I've got some of his books here. I read his books. I read some of those messages. Man, my heart starts to burn every time I read Oliver B. Green. Dr. Lee Robertson was a great Baptist. Roy Thompson, you ought to read about Roy Thompson. That was one of the great Baptists of our generation. Sam Davison is one of the great Baptists that's alive today of our generation. Paul Chappell is a great Baptist there. Hey, Sam Thomas, our missionary to India, is a great Baptist. Terry Unruh, our missionary to Sri Lanka, is one of the great Baptists of the day. Hey, Rick Martin in the Philippines and Ed Lorena. Listen, get around Ed Lorena. That is the Baptist Baptist there over in the, in the Philippines there. I'm saying tonight you need to know who these Baptists are. Sometimes just, we, we're so, we're kind of just, kind of a, uh, Closed off here in our, in our little world here. We forget there's other things going on. But I'm telling you, outside the walls of Heritage Baptist Church, God has raised up some men that are getting the job done. Sometimes we think we're the only one that's left. But I want to tell you, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee. We see Apollos' tendency. Notice, secondly, his teaching. Look at verses 24 and 25. First thing I want you to notice this, e- this evening is, is we look at verses 24 and 25. He was a word-filled man. The Bible says he was mighty in the Scriptures. I like that. Amen. It didn't say he was anemic in the Scriptures. It didn't say he was weak in the Scriptures. It didn't say he was watered down in the Scriptures. Thank God tonight he was mighty in the Scriptures. Boy, if there's anything we're supposed to be, it's right there. We're supposed to be mighty in the Scriptures. Hey, the Bible says in Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. I think he was like Samuel. He didn't let none of his words fall to the ground. I think he was like Ezra. He was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. In mighty scriptures, you've got to labor in the word and in doctrine. you be mighty scriptures, you better have your devotions. You're going to be mighty scriptures, you've got to meditate on the word of God. You're going to be mighty scriptures, you're going to, you're going to pray the prayer that, that is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4, where you add, pray for the tongue of the learned, and so that you can speak a word to them that are weary. I mean, this is this man, Apollos, he was a word-filled man. Listen, when you're mighty in the scriptures, your doctrine is sound. When you're mighty in the scriptures, you tend to be fervent in the scriptures. When you're mighty in the scriptures, you, are, you want to be under strong preaching, and you want to be a strong preacher. Listen, there's only one place to be in the Bible, and that is mighty in the scriptures that's why we major in the bible around here that's why we want you to go through discipleship that's why we emphasize having devotions that's why we emphasize having bible reading plans and you'll get another bible reading plan at the beginning of the year i mean we need to be mighty in the scriptures here and by the way verse 25 says he was instructed in the way of the lord he was told this is the way walk you in it you know he wasn't one of those people that they said okay well that's what, what about this and what about that they're debating and they're arguing you know you're arguing with god the Bible says he was instructed in the way of the Lord. Notice the second, he was a word-filled man, but notice something else. The Bible says in verse 24, he was an eloquent man and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Now, that's very important for preacher development or teacher development. Now, not all of us are eloquent. This man was eloquent. He had the gift of speaking. He had a very strong gift of speaking. He was very persuasive. In fact, if you read later on, look at verse, I think it's 27 or 28. Verse 28, notice, it says, For he mightily convinced the Jews. By the way, if you're mighty scriptures, you can mightily convince. Amen? And that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Now, that's later on, but he used his speaking skills. Hey, I'll tell you what I like about this man. He did not use his speaking ability to draw attention to himself. He did not use his speaking ability to be cultic in his personality. 
He didn't use his speaking ability to build his own kingdom. He used his speaking ability to be mighty in the scriptures and explain to people, thus saith the Lord. We've got guys today who use their eloquence for their personal benefit. One of the big name personalities that's out there today, many of you probably wouldn't know, is a guy by the name of Carl Lentz. Carl Lentz got caught in, the, caught in immorality, got fired from his position, which he should have been fired. And through the course of all this, we just read today where that uh, a couple of days ago, the guy checked into an, an outpatient clinic for depression, anxiety, and all this. He's pitching a pity party because he wants people to feel sorry for him. Because you know what happened? He was up there in the celebrity thing when on the marquee, he was known as the cool pastor and the hot pastor and the passage of celebrities. Now his world came crashing down, so he doesn't have that following that he used to have. So he's saying, well, you know, I got all burned out. You didn't get burned out. You fell in sin, sir. You fell in sin. You weren't in the Word of God. By his own admission, 10 years later, he says, well, I just realized that I was empty. I was an empty shell of a person. Yeah, that's the problem. You got guys going in the pulpits today, guys in churches, celebrity pastors, celebrity preachers getting in the pulpit. They're empty as far as the Word of God, but they're full of themselves. And so until they, they get found out in their ways that they're covetous or found out that they're immoral in some way, then it's at that time they come out and they pitch a pity party. Not this man, Apollos. Apollos was a man, he was eloquent, but he used his eloquence for the Lord. He was mighty in the Scriptures. He brought people to Jesus Christ. His whole goal in preaching was to lead people to the Lord and point them to Jesus Christ and say, my goal is that he must increase and I must decrease. His preaching was fiery. That's what the Bible tells us here. His preaching was convicting. His preaching, if you would, I, I believe one of the reasons why he and Paul could, could agree so well on things is I believe he was a very balanced Christian. I, I believe that is that one of the reasons why God had used him there at Corinth and God used him there at Ephesus is that he had good convictions and he was, knew the Bible well enough to preach about holy living and committed discipleship and godly marriages and raising children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord and uh, preaching about soul winning, ecclesiology and being careful of false teachers. I think he did all of that. And I think as we read about this and we you see this in the very last verse about him. His teaching and preaching revolved around Jesus Christ. He didn't play at the pulpit, didn't use the pulpit for personal or political purposes. He spoke boldly in the synagogue, as the Bible tells. I mean, this was a man who I think if we had to put up a, a model for preaching and a model for teaching and a model for Christian character, it would be this man, Apollos here. He was a word-filled man. We see his teaching. Criswell said this, to lift him up, to preach his name, and to invite souls to love him and to follow him is the highest, heavenliest privilege of human life. And that's from a man who said after 70 years of preaching, he says, I preached expository message for 70 years. He preached the whole Bible. He said, I barely have touched the hem of the garment after 70 years. That's humbling. One of the greatest preachers that ever lived. We see his tendency. We see his teaching. Notice third Luke at verses 26 to 28. Notice his tuition. Now, Luke gives us his background in verses 24 and 25 about Apollos. So we can understand where he was coming from and where he went. In verse 26, leading to verse 26, we're told in the previous verses that Paul took Achille and Priscilla with him. They left Corinth after 18 months of ministry. They left the tent-making business. They went full-time ministry with Paul. Paul had spent some time nurturing them. They went down to Ephesus. Paul started a ministry in Ephesus. 
He went to the synagogue of the Jews and did his thing. And, but for whatever reason, God did not impress on Paul to stay there very long. He just felt like he needed to go back. And he actually made his way. If you read all of Acts chapter 18, read about Paul making his way back to uh, the churches, back to, all the way back to Antioch. So he gave a report there. And he went to the church of the Galatians, strengthening them in order and things of that nature. But he left to kill and Priscilla there at Ephesus because he started to work. And he felt confident enough in them, if you would, that that work that was started, kind of an extension ministry, if you would, that they could go on and carry that work work on and nurture it and go, go with it. And he had trained them and taught them what to do. And they watched Paul for 18 months. So he felt very confident that Aquila Priscilla could be down there to take care of that. Well, while they're there, notice verse 26 that uh, he comes down there, verse 24, he comes down to Ephesus. Now, we're not really sure. The Bible doesn't tell us if they met each other, knew each other before the synagogue experience or if it was there at the synagogue, they met each other. It really doesn't matter. But the Bible tells us that in verse 26, that Apollos made his way there to, to uh, Ephesus, to the synagogue. And as a visiting rabbi, they gave him opportunities. They gave to Paul for visiting rabbis to stand up and share something. And he had not been around Paul, but he had his own way of doing things. And the Bible tells us what he did was, look at verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now, there's only one thing that characterizes Apollos, that everywhere he preached, every time he preached, he was a bold preacher. He was a strong preacher. He was mighty in the scriptures and eloquent and knowing only about the things of the Lord. He instructed people in the ways of God. So he got up and with all he knew, now remember now, he did not know that Jesus Christ had come. He did not know anything about the deity of Christ. He did not know anything about the crucifixion. He did not know anything about the resurrection. He didn't even know anything about the, about the New Testament church, if you would please, until he got down to hear. But he makes his way down there to Ephesus. And while he's there, he gets up in the synagogue and he says, well, you know, these Jews, these poor Jews, they need to be shown that that there's that we need to get ready for the Lord's coming. And so he preaches a similar message like the, like, like John the Baptist did. He preached a message of repentance. I mean, he was a very strong and bold message and probably made the hair on the, the Jewish the Jewish attendees to stand up there. And while he was preaching, the Bible says in verse 26, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard. Now, Kela was not a rabbi, so he couldn't get up and speak like that. He had to do one-on-one work. But they heard him preach, and they knew right away, they said he does not know that Jesus has come. He only knows about the baptism of John. They saw very clearly where his background was. And so the Bible says, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Now, I'm going to say a few things here tonight about this. First of all, I thank God for Achilla and Priscilla. And you ought to thank God for them too, amen? Achilla and Priscilla, as we study them, they're coming up next on one of the characters we're going to study. They are a model of what a married couple in an independent Baptist church should be to their preacher. Because I'm going to tell you, Achilla and Priscilla, when Paul described it this way in, in Romans chapter 16, he said he was commending them to the believers at Rome. And he says, they laid down their necks for me. That's pretty awesome. And I don't think any pastors asking their members to lay down their necks for them. But I mean, just Paul said, that's just the kind of spirit they had. And Aquila Priscilla had been around Paul enough that they learned about mentoring. They learned about helping other people come along the way. And so the Bible says, number one, notice this in verse 26. Number one, the Bible says, they took him, that is, that is Apollos, they took him unto them. Now, if you've done any discipleship, if you've done any mentoring, you ought, to, you ought to underline those words. They took him unto them. They became his friend. They shared how the Lord led them from Italy to Corinth 
to Ephesus. They told their testimony there. They talked about what God was doing in their life. I mean, they just kind of shined by, by, about the fact that they loved the Lord. But they had to tell him. They took him under them. And they developed a, a friendship with this man and a relationship. They heard his preaching. And they realized he doesn't know that Jesus has come. He doesn't know about the resurrected Christ. And they're thinking, man, if this guy can preach like this... Just wait to see what happens when he knows that Jesus has come and Jesus died on the cross and Jesus rose again. So they took him. Notice that the Bible says here. They took him unto them. They mentored him. They worked with him. Now, I want to tell you something tonight. You know, God, God uses people in a very unusual way in our lives here. I remember when I was uh, when I was. Uh, a high school, a high school senior, and you know I'd only been a Christian for two or three years, and just two, two or three houses down from my, my where I grew up in Oakland, there was this Christian couple there. I didn't even know they were Christian until one day the man was out, and he just had the sweet disposition about him. And I looked at him, and he's washing his car, and he was very clean cut, and, and his wife was very very modest in what they did. And they looked at me, and finally I you know I went up to them and I and I called them by the name. I said, Can I ask you a question? I said, Are you guys Christians? He says, Yes, we are. And he said, How did you, how, Why did you ask? And I said, Well, there's just something about that. And I said. Hey, can I come, come over to your house and talk to you for a little bit there? And found out they worked in the rescue mission downtown Oakland there. And they told me what church they went to and so forth like that. And, and uh, you know, I'd go there once a month. And just I never tell you a story, but I'd go there once a month. And she, she could not read music, the wife, but she could, she could, she could play based on hearing. And we would just we'd go there for about an hour and sing hymns together. And we'd sing together. And we'd talk about the Lord and have prayer together. And I would pray for them about them going down that, that place. But that was kind of inspiration to me because I felt like, you know, I, I know all these great Christians in the church that got saved. But man, this couple is just on fire for God and love the Lord. And he would tell me stories about men down there on Skid Row, down in the Oakland Mission, would get saved and what they were doing with that. And I was just blessed and encouraged by that. You know, God uses couples in people's eyes. Some of you are single. You ought to be thankful. There may be a married couple that's investing in your life and making a difference in you. And some of you married couples need to come on board with me and realize that tonight that we're, we're looking at this next generation. We need to invest in this next generation and we need to spend some time with them. But the way to do it is not to look down on them. And the way to do it is not to tell them they're wrong every time. But the way to do it is do like Achille and Priscilla. The Bible says they took him unto them. They, they, they just helped him along the way. Mentoring is taking people unto you. Uh, preacher development is pe- taking people under you. Taking men under you. They took him unto them. They basically said, you know what? We're just going to be your friend and we're going to take whatever time it is. And I imagine they sat down and they had a meal together for several days. And then they started talking a little bit. They just realized, you know what? It may take some time and we're going to take our time. We realize he's from Alexandria and we're from up here. We're from, we, we have had our roots there in Italy, but we've got some things in common. The Bible says they took him unto them. Then it says this, look at verse 26. They took him unto them, and notice this phrase here. They expounded unto him the word of God more perfectly. Now that's kind of interesting. Where did they learn how to expound the word of God? Paul? Paul? You stand under light Bible preaching, you're going to be light in your Bible knowledge. You stand around strong Bible preaching, you're going to be strong in your Bible knowledge. The Bible says they expounded unto him the word of God more perfectly. Now, the word expound means to set forth or to put out. They set forth an order. They set forth an order. Now, the Bible says they expounded him the way of God more perfectly. Now, how did they do that? I think they took the Old Testament. And they took the Old Testament. And I think even specifically the book of Isaiah. And I think they showed him 
the deity of Jesus Christ. They showed him Isaiah 7:14, Isaiah 9:6, and I'll be preaching to our Chinese department about this on, on Sunday from Isaiah chapter 49 verses 1 to 4 about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, about Jesus being virgin born. They took they took the scriptures. The Bible says they taught him, they found him the way of God more perfectly. I believe they told him that Jesus had already come in the flesh, that he was the word manifest in the flesh, he was God in the flesh. I think they told him about the deity of Jesus Christ. They told him about the death of Jesus Christ. They told him about Isaiah chapter 53. They took the scriptures and expounded him the way of God more perfectly. Listen, there's only one way to show someone the way of God more perfectly, and that's by taking the word of God. You can't do it by argument. You can't do it by logic. You can't do it by your testimony. You can't do it by ad-libbing. You've got to take the word of God and show somebody the way more perfectly. They talked about prophecy. They talked about the resurrection. They showed him the way of God more perfectly. They showed him the fulfillment of prophecies as they went along the way. I think they explained to him, as they explained the way of God more perfectly, they explained to him how Jesus founded the local New Testament church in Matthew 16, 18. They explained to him how the Holy Spirit came on the local church on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They explained to him the growth, outgrowth, and development of the church after the Holy Ghost came upon them. They showed to him how churches were implanted. They showed to him what God was doing through Paul, how Paul got saved, how Paul was a Jew that got saved. They expounded them to him. They expounded him the way of God more perfectly. You see, the 18 plus months that Achille and Priscilla spent under Paul's tuition resulted in Apollos' tuition. Every minute that Paul spent with them was profitable. I'm going to tell you young people tonight, don't waste your time hanging around people your age, goofing off and playing around. Get around the older men, the people around here that know the Bible and learn the Word of God and learn to get some conviction and learn how to become a soul winner. Learn how to get discipling. Decide you're going to grow up and be somebody for God. It's a good thing that a young man bear the yoke in his youth. I'm saying tonight, it's good for young men to learn the scripture. There comes a time when you're no longer a child. You've got to put away your childish things and you've got to think like a man and act like a man and speak like a man and walk like a man and, and walk and be like a man in everything you do there. You know, in Caleb Priscilla, they were trusted with whatever work Paul started there in Ephesus. They were an extension of his ministry there. They were doing what Paul could have done, but he could not. He helped this man to know that he could preach a true full gospel. And by the way, churches that say they're full gospel churches, they're not full gospel churches. They're empty gospel churches. Because if they preach a full gospel church, they wouldn't tell you you can lose your salvation. Amen? And if they're a full gospel church, they would preach that Jesus saves and not get off on his tongue business stuff. Listen, a full gospel is what Apollos got from Achille and Priscilla. He learned that he didn't have completely the word of God. And it may be that they even probably told him about 1 Corinthians 15 as Paul wrote that letter to them. I'm just saying tonight, this man, they took him out of them and expounded him the way of God more perfectly. Now, listen, sometimes someone may come to our church and they have a church background that doesn't really, that's not really compatible with where we're at, biblically speaking. That doesn't mean you write them off and give up on them. If they're teachable like this man Apollos was, then maybe we should take them unto us and expound unto them the way of God more perfectly. I think a good example is that Brother Tony Gura tonight. Tony Gura came out of a Presbyterian background. All he knew was Presbyterian. God bless you, amen? He came in here and had some doubts and skepticism about what a Baptist was. But after a month, two months, three months... The Word of God was working on him. Hey, you go talk to Brother Tony now. He's a full-fledged Baptist. Amen? You can't be 90% Baptist, Brother Tony. You've got to be 100%. Amen? And he's not the only one. Brother Robert Williams and his wife, they were in a church. 
They knew something wasn't right. They started studying. You know their study? The Holy Spirit led them to an independent Baptist church. Yeah. You ought to hear Brother Williams, his testimony about that. Man, when he told me and his wife told me about it, man, I was excited. Man, that's great. And I tell you others like that. You know, Caleb Priscilla had a sweet spirit towards people. We're going to grow our church and we get this COVID stuff. We have, to have, we have to have a sweet spirit. Apollos was a spiritual man. You know, spiritual people are teachable. Spiritual people can be corrected. I'll look around preachers that I get to spend some time with, and I mean, I, I'm amazed some of these guys are very, that, that their tender spirit, that they, they can be corrected. I'm talking about big-name personalities that we would consider big-name personalities. That they have a tender spirit about things. Apollos was a spiritual man. He was mighty in the Scriptures. He was word-filled. And as he got to know Achille and Priscilla, he started realizing, man, I, I didn't realize that there's something better than what I know. <laughs> and he said, you know, there's, Jesus came. Jesus was holy. Jesus is God. He was the word. He was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And he said he died for my sins. And he started realizing Isaiah 53 became very real because Jesus did all that. And he started realizing Jesus rose again from the dead and he sent to heaven. He says, man, I've got a full message right now to preach. As a high school senior or junior, someone gave me a copy of the sword of the Lord. Dr. John R. Rice was still the editor at that time. I didn't realize something was missing in my life until I started reading the sword of the Lord for about a year. And I noticed every preacher that was featured in the Sword of the Lord was an independent Baptist preacher. And I'm talking in the day. I'm talking in the day when, when I'm talking about the great preachers of days gone by. And Dr. Wrights would have these great conferences on soul winning revival. Uh, Dr. Getz talked about that. And, and these names that would just, I, you know, I just, it just draw, it was drawn to me. And I started realizing that, you know, I, I was identifying with the independent, being an independent Baptist. And I'm thankful that there's just... You know, kind of long story short, I'm thankful for pastors that, that invested in me, spent time with me, even long before I became a pastor, that invested in me, helped me understand what it meant to be an independent Baptist. I'm appreciative that someone gave me the book, The Trail of Blood, and reading about that, and, and I'm realizing that it got me interested about church history and Baptist church history, and started realizing there's a lot of stuff that Protestants have that kind of erased out what independent Baptists are all about there, and I started reading through this, and I started realizing, thank God that we can trace, independent Baptists can trace the roots of their church all the way back to the first church that Jesus Christ started, Amen. God has led people that have come from a non-Baptist church and a weak Baptist church where they have strong convictions about being a Baptist here at Heritage Baptist Church. It's tuition. He didn't know there was something better until Achilla Priscilla came along the way. They expounded in him the way of God more perfectly. God's Word changes lives, Amen. God's Word changes our thinking. God's Word changes our philosophy. God's Word gets in the right way. Listen, God took a man that was already great. He made him even greater. Amen? That's what God can do when we just have an open heart to what God wants to do. By the way, notice in verses 27 and 28, his tuition prepared him to go to Corinth. Because it was along the way there that I think that Achilla and Priscilla told him about the work there at Corinth. They told him what was going on. Paul was not there. Achilla and Priscilla were not there. 
And so somehow along the way, the Bible says in verse 27, he was disposed to pass unto Achaia. Now I think that disposing came about because the influence of Achaia Priscilla. They heard about everything we studied about Acts chapter 18 about that church. And God started working his heart and he started thinking, well, you know what, I, wanted, I just feel like I need to go there and I need to help those brethren and preach. And we read in 1 Corinthians that we know that he did go there and we know that he did help them and we know that he was greatly used of God. And notice what the Bible says in verse 27. He says, the brethren there at Ephesus wrote a letter of recommendation exhorting the disciples to receive him. That's what they had to do in those days. Before you receive somebody, they would get, write a letter of recommendation saying, hey, this guy's okay. His doctrine's clear. His mind is clear. His life is clear. His culture's clear. His character's clear. Everything about this guy's clear. And, it's, and, we, and we, we, we highly endorse him. And so the Bible says when he's disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him. And notice this next phrase. And he went there exhorting the disciples to receive him and says, who... That's Apollos. When he was come, I like this phrase, help them much. Listen, if there's a ministry we should have, those four words should underscore our ministry. Help them much. Help them much. When I go preach out, my goal is to help them much. When I prepare for Sunday service, Wednesday service, whatever it is, my goal is to help them much. He helped them much, which had believed through grace. He helped those believers go to the next level. He helped them to grow even more. He took a story they heard before, a passage they were familiar with, and he took them to the next level. Why? Because he was mighty in the scriptures. He was eloquent. He was instructing the way of the Lord. And the Bible says his heart's desire was to help them much. Now, if you don't, your goal is just to fill space, and your goal is just to get the job done, and your goal there is to try to help somebody else, you know, just to help yourself out, forget it. Get out of the position. You don't, should not be in a position of serving God unless you have that attitude. I'm there to help them much. Amen. That's why the people of Corinth loved him. It says in verse 28, he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, shown by the scriptures of Jesus Christ. And it could very well be that the God had an old-fashioned revival that happened under Apollos that dissipated when he left because he didn't stay there very long. We see Apollos' tendency, Apollos' teaching, Apollos' tuition book. Very quick, we need to close. Look at one more thing. Go back to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 12. Would you notice this? I want you to notice his timing. First Corinthians sixteen twelve says says this as touching our brother Apollos. I now this is Paul's desire. I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. Paul said, you know what? I really want him to go back. I really I, I think the revival that you experienced as a church when he was there before, I want him to come back and preach to you again. Paul just told him verses before that. He says, if the Lord will, I'll make my way there, but it's going to be a few months away. And he says, you know, I want to be there, but, you know, maybe I've asked Apollos if he would come. And notice what the Bible says in the second half of that verse. But his will, that's Apollos, his will was not at all to come at this time. Now, that's kind of interesting. But he will come when he shall have convenient time. He will come when he shall have convenient time. We live in a day and time characterized by a convenience mentality. Felix told Paul after he preached to him about temperance and righteousness and judgment. 
He trembled, and the Bible says, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Hardened sinners will tell us, I'll get saved when it's convenient. And I want to say tonight, if you're watching tonight, you're thinking, well, I've got time to get saved. Listen, the most important time to get saved is right now. There's no convenient season. It's right now. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Convenience. People get involved when it's convenient. People attend church when it's convenient. People will serve when it's convenient. People give when it's convenient. People pray when it's convenient. Men surrender to preach when it's convenient. Men will take their children to church when it's convenient. Men will take their stand with their pastor for the Lord's work if it's convenient. Listen, Jesus has something to say about convenience. Listen to what he said in Luke chapter 9, verses 59 to 62. Men came up to him, and one said to another, it was one said to him, he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, Jesus said to this man, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. You know what that guy was saying there? He says, Jesus, I'll follow you. But let me wait till my parents pass away, and when they're dead and I bury them, then I'll fight. He's basically saying, you know, I'm going to probably wait another 20 years before I fall fight you because it's not convenient. Listen to what this other guy said here. Another one said, and he said to another, he said, uh, and another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first bid them, uh, go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Another, he says, you know what, I, I want to wait till it's time for me to move out of the house, then I'll say goodbye. You know what, people do what they want to do based on what's convenient. Church members go so when, when it's convenient. COVID-19 has influenced the thinking of the typical church attendee around America that even when things settle down, they'll be in church when it's convenient. And one of the most dangerous things that's happened to you and happened to this church is that you've gotten to a convenience mentality thinking this, that you know what, I'll come when it's convenient. If I feel like getting up, I feel like getting out of my slippers, I feel like getting out of my, my, my comfort chair, I'll come when it's convenient. I'll come when I have a celebrity preacher come preach. I'll come when it's convenient. I'll give when it's convenient. I'll pray when it's convenient. I'll live when it's convenient. I'll do whatever is convenient. We get just like Felix and saying, when it's a convenient season, I will call for thee. You know what they're saying? You know what we're saying when we say when we have a convenient time, we don't have time for Jesus. You know what we're saying? We don't have time for the Bible. You know what? We're telling God we don't have time to do the important things of God. We're telling God we don't have time to seek ye first the kingdom of God is righteous. Because you know what? We live by the mindset like everybody else in the world will come when it's a convenient time. I'm going to tell you tonight, the Bible says we ought to do the Lord's work with haste. The night cometh when no man can work. Well, Pastor, I don't have time to win souls. I don't have time to do this. You don't have time for anything. You don't have time to be holy. You have your own mind made up. You're your own church. Church is not worth their time. Jesus is not worth their time. And so, you know what the end result is? You watch all these churches. They're going to close up next year. They're going to close up because they bought the life from their membership because the pastors feel the same way. Well, you know, it's too much work to buy electrostatic cleaners. It's too much to write a 30-page manual because, well, you know, why do we have to tell people what we're going to do for the church? And why do we have to do this? And why do we got to wear masks? And why do we got to do social distance? Why are we going to do all this? It's too much. And you know what? I don't even want to invest in, in live stream equipment. I don't want to do this and that. So we'll just re-record a message here and put it up there. And, you know, these guys that complain, they only preach once a week, probably even once a month. Shame on them. Amen. They're not worth the paycheck they get. Amen. Lazy preachers. Get out of the ministry. So they're going to cut back. 
And let me say this tonight. If you're a status quo Christian or someone where things die under you, you have no problem cutting back things because, you're, it's, it's because you live by the philosophy. It's convenient. Get away from me if you're somebody who likes to let things die, if you're status quo, because I, I can't have that around me. Saturday rolls around, Sunday rolls around. If it's convenient, I'll go do it. You've got six days a week to go shopping, but you choose Saturday's going to be the day you're going to go shopping. Okay, whatever. You know, the most tragic words that will haunt people, that will haunt sinners at the great white throne judgment, and that will haunt Christians at the, at, at the judgment seat of Christ, is that we said it was not convenient. Whenever a convenient season. But what about Apollos? Go back to verse 12. His will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Did he sin? No. Was he saying he didn't have time for the church of Corinth? No. Well, yes and no. You know what he's saying there? He was already committed to some other place, to another people he was preaching to, and because he was committed there and preaching to them, you know what he was saying? I can't come at this time. I can't drop this thing to go to this thing. I, I love you folks. I want to be there, but I can't do it. The Bible says in verse 12, he says, it was not his will to come at that time. He didn't have a leading of the Lord. He didn't have an impression of God. God was not burning his heart that he needed to do that. Now, I'm going to tell you what, what goes on here. I've watched this thing. I've watched this thing, and not just in Baptist circles, but non-Baptist circles. You know what happens? A guy gets bored being a pastor. He gets bored being a Sunday school teacher, so they get an invitation to go somewhere else because the other people don't know really what they're all about, and so they think this guy's a good preacher they heard his sugar stick his sugar cane message that he preached he said we well, just have this guy come out there because i heard a sugar cane message there and we'll have him come out and we just want to have him bless our congregation so they're, they're they're gone from their pulpit for this week and that week this week and that week they're gone many weeks at a time they're not there they're taking care of everybody else because you know what all of a sudden they felt like their church was not convenient to them let me tell you something tonight if i did that attitude to you this church would not stand very long if i did that to you this year i have not missed the pulpit here for 52 weeks by the end of this week this year if I did that to you, this church would start collapsing. You know what he's saying there? Here's my command. And by the way, I have invitation to preach out. I've turned down most of them. Because my commitment's here. I don't have a convenient season to go there. I know they're hurting, but my, my, we're hurting here too. So if I tell my wife, well, honey, I'm going to be gone three days out of the week, and some preachers can do that, some, and their marriages are fine like that, they're, they can do that kind of thing, I can't do that. If I'm going to tell him to be gone three days a week, it won't be lunch, he'll shoot me with one of my guns. Amen? <laughs> he was already committed somewhere. You know what he was saying here? He's saying, when my commitment is done where I'm at, if God's in it, then I will come. That's what he's saying. Now, let me tell you about timing, and I'm done. Sometimes we can be spread so thin and doing so many things. We're jack-of-all-trades, masters of none. And the end result is, really, the people who really need us to give them time are not getting it. And so the end result is, you know, we're asked to go one more place, and you've got to just be careful. You have to know that sometimes you just got to say no. Now, listen, I, I, I probably do something probably is, a, is probably a no-no in independent Baptist circles, but I, for the most part, I ask our people this. Now, can you tell me how much time you have to give? Versus just saying, can you, give this, can you do this and do this and this and write the job description and scare them half to death? And, you know, because I'm, I'm concerned about your time. I know what it's like to struggle with that. I, I still remember the day my, the pastor got saved and asked me to take an adult Bible class. And Brother Dave, I remember this. I didn't know what I was doing. 
I feel sorry for those people, man. I messed them up, amen, you know? I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. I was 25 years old. Good night. I was, te- I was teaching people their 30s and 40s, man. I thought they were old people. Now you look at you guys 30 and 40, so, man, you guys are young, young people, amen, you know? And I'll tell you honestly, my Saturdays were rough. I was struggling because I'd worked 60, 70 hours during the week and, you know, I'd bring work home and, and I'd try to get some study time in and thank God for some of our, our leaders who are good Bible teachers that they squeeze that time in the early morning, late night. But I wasn't that disciplined. I wasn't, uh, my mind was not as sharp. I just didn't, I didn't, I just, I just wasn't like that. I had to give my Saturdays. And I forfeit a lot of things with my family that I probably should not have done. And I, probably, and I took on more ministries because I was afraid to say no. I didn't know when to say no. Now, don't, don't you get the idea, if you have only one ministry, you should say no. You ought to have at least two ministries that you serve God in, at least two. And some of you need three. And some of you stay out of trouble and need four or five, amen, you know? Yeah. But it's getting to that point of realizing, timing-wise, you better understand where your commitment is supposed to be. If you can't commit 100%, don't commit. But you know what I'm going to tell you this? Now, that, that becomes another excuse there. Don't be afraid of the word commitment. We live in a day and age people are afraid of commitment. They're not committed to their marriages, not committed to their jobs. They're not committed to their children, not committed to their parents, not committed to doctrine, not committed to the churches. Hey, listen, I've said this all the time. You guys have heard me say this for, for the last 18, 19 years. I've said repeatedly, people don't live by commitment. Now, listen, be a church that lives by commitment. Be a church member that lives by Show the people coming from the outside, we live by commitment. And all I'm saying here is the Bible said timing wise, I'm committed here. I know my weaknesses. I know where I'm at. He says, it is not my will to come now. I don't have a leading Lord because you know what? I've got unfinished business here I've got to take care of. I've got to get this done. And when I have a convenient season, I'll go. And that convenient season means when he felt like the Lord did everything he needed to do with that ministry, then we'd move on. Now listen tonight. We owe it to every ministry we're involved in to give our best and give our all until we know for sure God says it's time for me to take on something new. And by the way, maybe God's not leading in that direction. Maybe God says you ought to take on something new and be better what you're doing and manage your time and cut out the TV and cut out all the nonsense, and spend your time serving God. But God has the right timing for His people. He tells us to walk circumspectly, redeeming the time because the days are evil. There are real commitments, and there are situations where you just need to make sure, can I get the time? And Paul answered this way with Timothy, because Timothy had that same concern. You know what he told Timothy in his closing words in 2 Timothy 4? Be instant in season and out of season. You better be ready to jump the gun. Interruptions happen all the time. You can't have your sweet day the way you want it. It's going to happen all the time. You've got to figure out how to improvise around that. Christianity is not about convenience. I said Christianity is not about convenience. Go back and read Fox's Martyr. None of those guys died for convenience. They died because they had conviction. Your true commitment, keep and be faithful. As I close tonight, I'm encouraged by Apollos, and I'm encouraged by Achille and Priscilla. I hope you are too. Be minding the Scriptures. Be instructed in the way of the Lord perfectly. Serve God even when it's not convenient. Go so winning when it's not convenient. Be committed even if you feel uncomfortable. Let's get rid of this convenient Christianity. You want to be a conviction about that. Paul, that's what Felix said. Felix is in hell right now because he said, when I have a convenient season. 
You go so many, don't take no for an answer. Because look at this man here. He mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, the Bible says. Well, we're getting tired, Pastor. Too many things going on. Yeah, I understand. When you have a convenient season. Be a man of character, even if it's not convenient. Do the unusual, even if it's not convenient. Pray. Come boldly before the throne of grace, even when it's not convenient. Thank God for Apollos. Thank God for Apollos. What a great Christian he was. Great man of God. Thank God for his birth. Came out of Alexandria, but he wasn't corrupted. He was mighty in the Scriptures. Thank God that he only knew the baptism of John, but he had the convictions of John. He, had, he was a baptistic in his theology. And then, thank God he had a meek and teachable spirit that this, this sweet couple, Killer Priscilla, could take him aside and teach him the way of the Lord more perfectly. Hey, can somebody take you aside and teach you the way of the Lord more perfectly? Would you have a good spirit about it like he did? And once you learn it, would you go back to the synagogue? Would you go back to that meeting place and, and proclaim Jesus Christ even more boldly and mightily convincing people they need to get saved? Now, the problem with a lot of us is we stop so short of what we do, we don't go the extra mile. Listen, we, we belong to a, a camaraderie that Jesus started that is to go the extra mile for Jesus' sake. And so tonight I encourage you to be an Apollos and encourage you to be an Achilla Priscilla.